my youngest son called me from University of Texas, and he'd had a fight with his girlfriend that night, and he called on a Sunday night, and I, I just I spent about an hour on the phone giving him all kinds of great advice. And the next morning when I got to my office, uh, they were yelling at me to get on the phone, and, and it was my other son at the University of Texas. My youngest son's girlfriend, had, had um, they had been having an argument later that night, and she shot him in the back of the head. Other son told me if I needed, if I wanted to see him before he died, I better get to Austin. By the time I got to Austin, there were five, there were over a hundred years of sobriety waiting for me at the at the airport. That took me to the hospital and and let me say uh, let me say bye to my son. And you know there were 150 people from my club that went to his funeral in East Texas. Took a day off work. My first reaction was to want to kill his girlfriend and kill everybody she knew. And I prayed about it a lot, and I prayed for her a lot. And, and I finally, because of what y'all had told me and how y'all had told me to do stuff, uh, I finally was able to uh, call her on the phone, tell her I was praying for her, and I forgave her, and, and got to have that rock removed from my from my back. And, and uh, I get to help a whole lot of people that lose kids today in the program. Uh, because it's a it's a it's a pain that you can't understand unless you've gone through it. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride, take what you want, and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Hello, boys and girls. That was the voice of Mr. Bob S. that you heard at the beginning of this episode. And guess what? You are going to hear so much more from him in just a moment. But first things first, this episode is brought to you by Mr. Joe G. Mm, By the way, when I say that name, Joe G., it makes me pause and think of, for whatever reason, G.I. Joe. But I digress. This episode is brought to you by Joe G. Joe G. went to our... Joe G. Joe G. Joe G. That's kind of... That that sounds strange when I say that real quick. Joe G. went to our website, SoberSpeak.com, clicked on the Donate tab, and made a contribution. Thank you so much, Joe G., for your generous contribution. This episode is for you. And I, ladies and gentlemen, will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored, and I'm doing the little namaste hands, and privileged to serve all of you who will be listening in. All right, just a few things here before we get to Mr. Bob S. Believe it or not, we have episode 100, can even believe it, coming upon us. And I thought about what to do, if there's anything special to do. And and I tell you what, I'm going to put a call out there for any of you to either write in via email, john, J-O-H-N, at soberspeak.com, or send me a Facebook message, or send me an Instagram message, a direct message on Instagram, uh, or you can even send me a voicemail. And if you're not sure about how to do that, uh, write me, john, at soberspeak.com, and I will uh, make sure that you get the link to do that. But nonetheless, what I don't want this to be is some sort of self-congratulatory effort. But what I'm asking you to do, if you can, is to write in and talk about any of the speakers who may have meant something to you throughout this last 
what, year and a half, uh, close to two years now. Gosh darn, time has flied. Uh, but if any of them has meant something to you, and you can remember where you were when you were listening to that, and somehow you can add some texture and color and nuance to the situation. And, and, and by the way, I would love to pass on your messages to the guests that I have on the podcast. And you know what? Who knows? Maybe it wasn't a speaker that influenced you, but maybe it was a, uh, some listener feedback that I read during uh, listener feedback time. Maybe that is what helps you. I would love to hear about it, and I would love to read it or play it if it's a voicemail on our uh, 100th episode. But nonetheless, uh, I just thought about that right before I started to uh, record this episode here tonight. All right. Once again, we will be having another Sober Speak Live. It's coming up on December 6th in Frisco, Texas with Miss Brenda J. And if you have not heard Brenda J before, you are in for a treat. I would highly suggest that you go back and listen to episodes number five, zero and nine, zero. That's 50 and 90. All right. I wanted to start this out tonight with an email that I received this week from Bill C, who's been one of the guests on the program. And it's just one of those emails where he sends out uh, uh, quotes from the big book and other things. Uh, and by the way, if you want to get on his email list, send him an email to Bill C, B I L L C as in Charlie, at kitchentableaa.com, and he will get you on his list. Go ahead and tell him you heard it on Sober Speak, all right? Nonetheless, he, uh, this is something that I picked out from one of the emails he sent earlier this week, and it said, We found the great reality deep down within us. In the last analysis, it is only there that he may be found. That's Alcoholics Anonymous, page 55. Let me go ahead and read that again, all right? We found the great reality, in capital letters, great reality, deep down within us. In the last analysis, it is only there that he may be found. And that so much caught my attention this week. All right. Another thing, I hope you're having a good week. I want to let you know what was going on with me this week. Um, I had dinner with my friend uh, Jimmy D last night. Uh, Some of you may have heard him on this podcast in the past. He's been on three different episodes. And so he was explaining to me what he is trying to accomplish as trustee of our area in North Texas and uh, uh, and throughout AA as a whole. And so it got me thinking, okay, why do I do this podcast? You know, why am I doing this? And, and every once in a while, I have to kind of pull back and reflect on that. And, uh, um, and I got to thinking, and, and, and I've said this in other words before, and that is, I pray, I pray, folks, that by listening to this podcast, you in your life are able to get a sense of what the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous can do for you, especially if you are new, if you are newcomers. Now, that doesn't mean uh, I'm not thinking about the people who have been around a long time either, but people, I realize that sometimes this may be the first exposure to people that are, are to, to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 steps and Al-Anon and the other recovery programs. And, and I hope that you are able to glean some sort of insight from the amazing people, the men and women that I bring in here to share their experience, strength, and hope on this podcast. And keep in mind, none of us, all right, represent AA. Al-Anon, any of the other recovery programs we're talking about on here, but we, we, we don't represent it, but we are examples that AA and Al-Anon works, work. Um, and, and I do realize, oh my gushiness, I think about this all the time. I think about bringing this message or carrying this message. And and I know, oh, I know from the bottom of my heart, I am not perfect at carrying this message. I do know I fall short in many ways, but I'm so thankful that you guys come back and you listen. 
and you give me meaning and you give me purpose and you give me, you, you provide me feedback. And, uh, uh, this thing has been a journey like no other for me. And I, and as I have said, just so you know, many times over, if you have the choice between supporting this podcast or listening to this podcast, uh, and support, if it's a choice between that and supporting financially and otherwise your local groups or attending meetings at your local groups, please go to a meeting, put me on the back burner because the real, the real work is happening out there in the meetings. I'm just hoping that somehow I can serve as a prompt to get people into the meetings of recovery where they can find the solution that they need. All right. I'm going to do a little listener feedback on the front end this time. Uh, Then I'm going to talk about Bob S. and we'll get into his episode. Listener feedback. Rye writes in. I love that name. R-Y. Now, I'm done having kiddos, I think. Anyway, I'm not planning on ever having children again. And... um, uh, but if I was ever having a name, uh, a child again, I may think about naming that child Rye. It's a girl, uh, R-Y. Uh, Rye writes in and says, by the way, the title of this, uh, of this email was Podcast Genius and Facebook Group. <laughs> Got my attention. I swear, I saw that and I go, who's she going to be talking about? And then she says, hi, John, I hope this email finds you well today. I'm writing to commend your podcast prowess <laughs> and genius at Silverspeak, as well as fulfill my duty as a true alcoholic and selfishly ask you to do something for me. Well, you know, Rye, I appreciate your compliment. I do not consider myself by any stretch of the imagination a genius, whether I have prowess or not, uh, is up for debate. (laughs) But nonetheless, she says... uh, uh, I'm almost nine months sober, and I, that's great. And I just discovered this podcast through my network here in Raleigh, North Car- North Carolina. Well, I'm glad you're North Carolina, right? Anyway, she says, I'm listening every chance I get to your podcast, in parentheses, which is often since I take a lot, in real big uh, capital letters, of public transportation... <laughs> Thanks to my friends at the blank, blank, blank dealership, it's a car dealership, who think for some stupid reason, I should have been paying my car payment in capital letters every month. The nerve, she says. Anyway, the podcast is a great calmer downer for me. Oh, that's a good way to put it. A great way to feel connected with others in the room, sharing their experiences, strength, and hope. Thank you for this blessing of a podcast. Oh, thank you for listening in, Rye. You have many fans over here in the South, North Carolina. Um, she says, oh, also, could you please add me to the super secret Facebook group? Also, thanks for all you do, Rye K. Well, Rye K, we got that out to you, that invite, and I'm so glad you wrote in. On the Instagram, Mr. Frederick, by the way, if you're not following me on Instagram, I am at, uh, what am I at? At Sober Speak, all one word. And I read all my direct messages. Um, Frederico, uh, Federico writes in and he says, hey, John, thank you for your podcast. Hugs to you from Uruguay. Well, thank you, Frederico, I appreciate that. Is it Uruguay or Uruguay? Nonetheless, uh, I'm glad you're listening in. Dave wrote in on the Instagram and he said, Hey, John, just listening while jogging or just listened while jogging in the United Kingdom. 
Kingdom, Great Britain. Thanks so much, Dave. We'll keep on jogging and listening. Uh, you're, you're doing two good things at once there, my friend. Nikki writes in, and Nikki says, I've been listening to your podcast for about a month now. It gets my day started off in an amazing way. Well, thank you, Miss Nikki. I sure do appreciate it. And as I always say, I'm so glad we can be a small part of of your recovery. Thank you for letting me and the guests that I bring in here into your life. John writes in, and this is absolutely beautiful. I love this one. John writes in and he says, John, by the way, I like his name. Uh, even though you don't spell it right, he spells it J-O-M. But nonetheless, he says, John, love the show. It's given me so much hope. I'm on day four And that's what this thing is about. It's about giving people hope and it's about newcomers and giving them some sort of exposure to the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. All right, now we're on to Mr. Bob S. All right, so Bob S., this is part two. If you didn't catch Bob S. part one, Oh, you owe it to yourself to go back and listen to this. It's the previous episode here. So that'll be episode 97. This is episode 98. And, I, and it goes, it says, last week, we covered Bob's, what did we cover? We covered his uh, visit to the White House, his, uh, what I would call, mm, encounter with a SWAT team, and a lot more. Nonetheless, uh, on part two here, we're going to talk about felonies. We'll talk about misdemeanors. We'll talk about straight jackets. We're going to talk. We're going to talk about a guy named Lucky that Bob met in jail. Yes, I just said that. A guy named Lucky that Bob met in jail. Uh, I love it when Bob says in this episode, "What goes around comes around," and you cannot outgive God. Loved it. We're also going to talk about something that was very. Uh, uncomfortable, at least for me. We'll talk about the death of Bob's son. And he's also very open and honest about his struggle with prejudice. Once again, folks, if you want to be in the secret secret Facebook group, send me your email associated with your Facebook group. Uh, Excuse me, associated with your Facebook account at John, G-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com. Without... Further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Bob S., the one and only Bob S. Enjoy. Okay, everybody, so we are once again sitting here with Mr. Bob S., and just in case you did not catch the last episode, um, Bob S., Go ahead and give your sobriety date if you wish, Mr. Bob, and <laughs> introduce yourself. I'm Bob S. I'm a grateful alcoholic. I've been sober since the 17th of December, 1984. All right, so we started out recording Bob last time, thinking we were going to get through his story, but he has quite a background, to say the least. We talked about, and if you didn't hear the first episode, please go back and listen to it, but... Uh, he talked about um, his upbringing. He talked about being an outside linebacker at the University of Texas. Talked about how his, uh, uh, I guess his forte in life was fighting, drinking, and chasing women. Do I have that right, Bob? That's it. <laughs> um, it. He talked about his visit to the White House with President Johnson. We talked about his PTSD and his time in the Marine Corps in Vietnam. Uh, And then we talked about his, we'll just call it an incident with the SWAT team when he went into the board of the company he was working for and put a shotgun in some guy's mouth. Uh, We talked about the time where he went down to the jail at, in LaGrange, Texas, and kind of shot up the police station. And then they ran a background check on him after that. Imagine that. And they found that he had 28 charges against him. And that's where we kind of left it off. Uh, We never really got to the point to where we got sober with Bob in his story. So I wanted to have him back in for another episode. So, Mr. Bob. 
we're close to getting sober. Good. <laughs> there I'm was, so glad. There were 28 felony charges. There were over 100 misdemeanor charges. So I mean, it, you know, I was just, I was just getting, I was just getting wired. You had 28 felony charges 28 and over 100 charges. misdemeanor charges. Over 100, yeah. And so, how were you not in jail? I don't know. <laughs> I guess, <laughs> I guess they were just scared of me. They just, they, I just wasn't. I just never had gotten caught computers caught up with me if it hadn't been for that's why i've always hated computers if it hadn't been for computers <laughs> they never would have caught me anyway they took me to they took me to jail in austin and and uh i was you know i was just barely by the time they got me to jail i was just barely coming out of it i was just barely getting a little bit sober and so i you know i figured it was not a fair deal i was in jail in austin texas and now you have a lot of that saying this is not fair. It was not fair. It's not fair at all. And there was a great big old fat jailer sitting over there working on his books, and 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 uh, I, I, I knew there was something wrong with this situation. And I said, "Hey," I said, uh, uh, "Do you not know that I'm a I'm an important Marine War hero, and that uh, my dad's a real important doctor in Dallas, and." Uh, uh, and I played football here at the University of Texas, and this jailer shook his head and kept looking at his papers, and I said, I said, hey, did you hear me? He said, yeah. He said, that's not your lucky day. I said, <laughs> I said, what are you talking about? It's not my lucky day. He said, well, well, my dad's a chiropractor, and I was in the Navy, and I went to A&M. So I, had, <laughs> I thought, nope, not my lucky day. Now. And, but he was wrong. He was wrong. Uh, Sherry Hartzell and those friends of mine that uh, were petroleum land men with me that were former Marines came to see me in the Austin jail and they brought me one of those little funny cards and they said uh, a funny card yeah those little cards that got all the funny steps on them and the funny prayers on them and uh, you oh. know, the little white cards we used to pass oh, out oh okay so like AA literature yeah, AA, an AA card that you know had everything on it I needed to know and, and they said uh they said, here, just, you know, keep this. And I looked at them, and I looked at the steps, and I said, well, my my life's not unmanageable. And they said, oh, yeah, who's managing it? And I said, well, state of Texas for right now, but, you know, who knows later. And they said, good, we'll just keep the card. And and, uh, and I folded the card up and kept it in my pocket. And, and uh, they transferred me around uh, from Austin. They transferred me around to uh, seven different counties that uh, – uh, that they had charges on me, and and uh, they finally let me out. John Hill worked his magic, and they they let me out on all of them, uh, on every one of them. I was I got probation under the conditions that I go to the VA hospital for for mental evaluation and post traumatic stress stuff, and uh, so I went and went and checked into the VA and Waco. which there was some truth to that, correct? Oh yeah, absolutely, and and. Uh, I uh, I got I was released from the last jail I think in Tyler on a Friday, and I was supposed to report to the VA on Monday, but I didn't really make it till Tuesday because I don't I don't know what happened to Monday. <laughs> Something happened Monday, and Saturday, Sunday, and Monday I drank enough to kill most people. And by the time I got into the by the time I crawled up the stairs at the VA in in Waco. Uh, it took them four more days of blood tests to get one that didn't show I was legally intoxicated. Wow. So I, you know, I drank enough to kill most people and, and, I, and I checked into the VA and they kept me in a straight jacket at the VA for a couple of days because they, you know, they, they kept thinking I was going to hurt somebody and, and uh, I wasn't hurting anybody but me. And, and uh, so after six weeks at the VA, they, uh, they gave me a bunch of tests. Uh, Really, they started in the fifth week. They they started asking if I'd take all these extra tests. And first test had, you know, less than a hundred questions on it, uh, but they had a bunch of alcohol questions, and I didn't like that, so I just answered them honest. And and then the next test had like three hundred questions, three hundred thirty-three or something like that, and and uh, so I just answered that as honest as I could and then they had one more test it was a 999 question test it took two days and I was because they 
kept asking stuff about alcohol, and I was just aggravated by then. And and the only reason I did it because it was going to help me get out. Uh, that was my one question to him: Is this going to help me get it get out any faster? And they said, "Oh yeah." So then they came and they asked me <laughs> if I would be the subject for grand rounds out of that particular VA hospital in Waco. Subject for what? Grand rounds. There's 12 major VA hospitals in the United States. Each one of them has one month during the year where they present a subject for grand rounds, which is where you sit in a room with all the doctors that have been in your treatment team and all the psychologists and all psychiatrists. They go through your whole case and and they make recommendations and whatever. And so I said, sure, I'll, you know, if that lets me get out of here, I'll, I'll do whatever y'all take. And they put me in a, in a waiting room. It was a doctor's waiting room and had doctor's books all the way around it. Well, my dad was a doctor. I knew how to find, I knew how to find all the dirty pictures, but I also knew how to find everything else in doctor book. I knew how to find everything about PTSD there was to find. And so I speed read everything in there. I was in there probably an hour, and I read everything they had in that library about PTSD. I could have answered any question about PTSD and made them believe it. And they took me in this room, and they, they uh, all the people gave reports, and, and they started, they asked, they had a big chart up at one end of the room and they had some overlays on it. And they said, Mr. Schaefer, so these are times in your life when you have uh, uh, gotten into most fights, when you have been the, the angriest, when you have uh, pissed off the most people. And I looked at it and I had the dates pretty much right. And, that, you know, I was thinking about that. And they had another one. These are the times in your life when you've done all your criminal activities and these are the you know and i said well yeah that's charts pretty right they had four or five charts like that in the last chart they pulled it over and they said are these the times in your life when you've drank the most and i looked at it and uh, there was a drinking question i couldn't stand it they were asking me that and uh, yeah that's pretty accurate i knew it. i'd given them the information i knew where it came from and So as I was looking at the chart, they flipped the next page over and the next page over and the next page over. And it was all the same line, all the same line. And they said, uh, now, we want to suggest to you that maybe you're not crazy, that maybe you have a bad allergy to alcohol. And it may be that allergy to alcohol lets you do things that you would not ordinarily do and and act in ways you wouldn't ordinarily act and uh and that's pretty much destroyed your life and what was I, your reaction to that I, it was like i'd been hit in the chest with a sledgehammer they had to ask they they asked me twice they said now we're going to let you loose from here what are you going to do next and i was just staring at the chart i thought well crap i'm an alcoholic my mother was an alcoholic. I don't like alcoholics. I don't want to be an alcoholic. And and I just, you know, I just, uh, it just amazed me. Had and, that uh, thought ever occurred to you had, before no, that time? Absolutely not. I never thought I was an alcoholic, except when those guys from Alcoholics Anonymous came to see me in jail in, in Austin. I knew what they were there for. I knew that that's because they told me several times when they'd seen me drinking when we were all working together that I had a problem. And so I, did you have an inkling this whole time though, that something was wrong with SWAT teams? No, <laughs> no, I was just wired that way. I just, you know, I had, I had been that intense and I, I'd, uh, uh, I mean, some of us just, some of us run to the gunfire and that's, you know, that's what I would have done any, in any case that there was. And, and, uh, uh, I'm not, I'm not been afraid of many things in my life. I don't, I just, you know, the no fear deal. Uh, I mean, that's just who I was. And, and, uh, and the only thing I was sort of afraid of was keeping living the way I was living. And, and they, uh, so they asked me the second time, they said, well, what are you, we're letting you use from here. What are you going to do? And I said, uh, there's some friends of mine that, uh, are in Alcoholics Anonymous that, uh, have suggested that I could probably benefit from that program, and uh, I think I'll uh, I think I'll go find them uh, and and see what see if they can help. And they said, "Well, we think that'd be a real good idea." 
I walked across the street from from the VA at in Waco. Uh, I bought a with some money I had left on me. I bought an old car. I drove down to Lagra- down to Lagrange, and the house had been ransacked, and and but most of the alcohol was still in that big closet. And and what do you uh, mean it had been ransacked? Oh, people, somebody had been in there, and they'd been looking for stuff, and things were turned over, and you know the family had not been back there. And, you know, since I since all this had happened, and somebody had gone in, somebody had taken some of my guns and stuff like that, and and uh, I I went and looked at the house, and I did not take uh, I did not take any of my any of the alcohol with me. I did not take any of the bottles of alcohol. I uh, I took a sleeping bag and some clothes, and uh, and I headed for Dallas, and. Uh, when I got to Dallas, I called a friend of mine's uncle who I knew was a member of AA, and I asked him, told him what had happened, and asked him if he could please take me to a meeting. And he took me to a Dallas North meeting, and and uh, uh, I uh, picked up a desire chip that night, and and uh, uh, I I I was sleeping. I had a lot of relatives in Dallas. Who were afraid of me and and uh they you know i couldn't get in their houses or anything and i don't blame them i mean that's you know i was a pretty scary character at that time and i had a good friend that would let me go over to his place and and uh, use their guest room out back and take showers and stuff every morning once his wife went to work because she was scared of me too so, <laughs> so I, I i do that but i slept in the parking lot of dallas north for two months really during the winter with during february and march uh of uh, 85 and uh slept in the back seat of my car and i'd i'd make a seven o'clock meeting and because they had coffee in there in the bathroom and, and seven o'clock a.m seven o'clock in yeah seven in the morning and i'd and i'd go shower and stuff then i'd go back to the club and make a noon and then i'd make a a six or eight o'clock every night so i was making three or four meetings a day and and uh, did you like it when you finally got into it? I hated it, you know. There, and what I, I hated it, but I knew that you know, I knew that these people were either the craziest people on the face of the earth or they'd found something that worked, uh, because they were having a good time. I was not having a good time, uh, so you considered it like a sentence, so oh, to speak? It was a, yeah, it was almost a death sentence. I, you know, how was I ever going to have fun again? And uh, uh, these these idiots would laugh. There were guys hugging guys and guys telling people that they guys telling each other that they loved them and you know just all, all kinds of stuff like that that just did not sit right with me at all. I, that's just not the way people of my ilk did things, and I you know I didn't want any part of that. And and uh, I'd been in there about two months, and and uh, they they had a, a speaker that was supposed to come on Wednesday nights and uh, the speaker wasn't going to be there. So it, it called and canceled. So they were going to show a movie uh, about the Catholic priest, the pre- Catholic priest, AA movie. And I sure didn't want to watch a movie about a Catholic priest. So You're talking I, about father. Yeah. Martin? Okay, yeah. Father you. Martin's movie. And so I got in my old car and, uh, you know, my mobile home from the parking lot. And I went over toward a friend of mine's, place same guy that stood in for me when i got married and and uh don had a uh had a refrigerator full of beer and had a well-stocked bar and had a closet full of drugs and i mean that's been a and in about halfway over to his house my car pulled in the parking lot of of that uh the big methodist church on inwood and northwest highway mm-hmm. uh where citywide is held now and and uh pulled in and my car pulled underneath a tree and and uh, and i got out and got on my knees said uh, said the, the most fervent prayer i'd ever said in my life and it was you know god i i uh, i hope you're listening and i uh, don't know if there's another alcoholic anywhere in the world but i'm pretty sure i'm one uh because uh i'm going for some relief uh i'm going to kill this pain uh, please help me. And, uh, so after I stayed on my knees for a few minutes, the answer I got clear as a bell, just like he was talking to me like a father. And, 
was, uh, well, good. Maybe this deal will start working for you now. And, uh, uh, and the message was go back to the club, tell some people what had happened and, and, uh, and see, if, see what works now. So I got back there. I got back to Dallas North as a meeting was getting out that I left. So just real quick, people can't see you right now. Um, obviously I can, you're sitting here right across from me. That's 25 or 35 plus years ago now, correct? Mm, 35, yeah. 35. And, uh, that still brings up, uh, it looks like that still hits a real emotional spot inside you. Do you remember what was so special, if you will, about that particular moment was had you been talking to god before that well i'd been for a couple of months in this aa stuff i kept hearing all this god stuff and then you know every time they'd say god i'd shut my ears and i didn't want to pray at the end of meetings because i was afraid he'd hear me and know where i was and uh it uh you know i just i just had a hard time buying the god deal to start with and and uh and then just all of a sudden that was you know i was I was faced with doing, going back to, to the way I'd been living or faced with turning it over to him. And, and I just, uh, I just flat turned it over. So that and, was a turning point for you. Oh, absolutely. Most, I mean, they say that's the only step you can do perfectly. And I, you know, most probably believe them, but, uh, I did that about as perfect to the, to the tips of my toes from the tips of my toes to the bottom of my head and everything in me uh, admitted that I had a power and asked God to help me. That I had a problem you? and asked God to help me. How long were you sober at that time? Uh, two months. Two months, okay. Yeah. All right, so you turned the car around. You went back to the meeting where they're showing the Father Martin film. They 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 were just getting out of the meeting, and, and I stopped two or three of the guys that I'd known there fairly well, and and uh, uh, told them what had just happened, and uh, we all went to Taffy's, uh, and every, you know, is that every, a restaurant? As Taffy's was a restaurant where Dallas North always used to go. It's been closed a, a lot of years now, fifteen, twenty years, but uh, that's where you could always find all of us in the evening when after meetings and stuff, and it and uh, and it started working it started working from then on yeah uh, by the night you know i woke up the next morning with a with a different attitude i also woke up you know about two days later with a an apartment that i'd gotten because some money had coming in from me selling some of my oil stuff that that i still had and and so i got an apartment and and uh, and things started working All right, so let me take a little break here. We will be continuing our conversation with Bob S. in just a moment. Just a reminder, you were listening to Soberspeak. You can find us on the web at www.soberspeak.com. You can also find the donate button on our website, and you can use that if and only if the spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind, this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. Soberspeak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right, now back to Mr. Bob S. All right, so you've had your turning point. You go back to the meeting. You go out to Taffy's. Uh, now, all of a sudden, you have an apartment. Take me from there. Well, I, you know, I... Uh well, I guess I ought to speak about sponsorship. I I was going to seven the seven o'clock in the morning meetings. I was going to there was a, uh, you know, people kept telling me I needed a sponsor, and there was a little guy in there, Dick B. That uh, I mean, he he drove a BMW convertible. He wore lots of gold. He was married to a real good looking woman. He had a swimming pool at a real nice house, so he had everything I wanted. There you go. <laughs> and and uh, you know, so I asked him to be my sponsor, and and. Uh, uh, and then he insisted on going to uh, probation meetings with me. I was on intense probation. I had to go every two weeks. And and uh, was it called intense probation? Intense probation. What is, what is that? Oh, you have to you have to 
beside didn't have to wear at the time they didn't have ankle monitors like they do now but uh, you had to uh, you had to call in twice a, a week and then you had to go in once every two weeks to you know pee in a in a deal and i mean they they just they rode you they, they checked on you they, a lot more than they do today and uh, just intense probation and uh dick wanted to go with me so uh he wanted to go with you down to the probation. Oh, he wanted to go. Yeah, he wanted to. He wanted to make sure I was being treated well or something. And so <laughs> he went down there with me. And, and the time he went down with me, uh, uh, they uh, ran the. They always run the computers again when you're in there. Those darn computers I, are oh, always. Oh, I hated you. those computers. And anyway, <laughs> I, I uh, we went in. I went in in the back, and he sat out front and. They ran the computers and they found two or three things they hadn't charged me with yet. So they uh, they carried me out in leg irons and handcuffs and, and two great big sheriff's deputies and, uh, carried me out to the car. And they as we were, we walked through the room with he, where he was, he sort of he looked at me and fainted. He passed out in the chair because they, he just couldn't believe they were taking me back to jail. <laughs> and uh, my first thought was, man, I need a tougher sponsor again. <laughs> This is not going to get it. So, you know, so I, I, I went, you know, they took me to jail. They ran the, every, all the stuff again. And, and I was in there feeling sorry for myself. And I, I, I looked out the window and I, you could, from Lou Starrett, you could look out the window and you could see that a liquor store down on a, on the freeway. And, and I thought, man, I, you know, I've been being good for months, you know, and, 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 and this isn't getting any more than this. I'm getting out of here. I'm going to go buy me something. I'm going to get loaded. I'm going to go back to my old way of doing things, and I'm going to get some respect back and get a lot of my toys back. And and I just about had half made up my mind to do that, and I went in to get uh, to eat, and they put trays of bologna sandwiches in there, and, and uh, there's this one guy this this black guy that was in there that had his ear half bitten off and had his uh, had teeth knocked out and his nose looked like it was broken and they called him lucky <laughs> and uh, and lucky sat down at the bologna sandwich tray and he folded his hands and he bowed his head and he'd tell he was saying a little prayer and i was just looking at him and he said uh he said you can say anything you want but he said i'm just thanking god for for this food and uh and for all I've got going, and and I so I said, well, here's another one. I gave him a tray, and and I went and laid down on a rack, and I thought, man, that guy doesn't, doesn't have much to thank God for. It. You've got a lot of people working on getting you out of here right now. You you know you haven't done anything new to get arrested for for the last bunch of months. Uh, you know you 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 need to change your attitude. So I went to find Lucky. They let him out. So. Lucky's one of those little angels that come along. You know, my whole story is about seconds and angels, and and uh, Lucky's just one of those little stories, one of those little angels that was there when I needed. I needed to change my attitude, and he changed it. He uh, he gave thanks for for being. He said, "I'm just giving thanks for being alive," and uh, and that's you know. So I was out of there in, in a couple of days and got a new sponsor. Yeah, uh, got a got a sponsor. Everybody says was real mean and real tough, and and uh, he was a he was a wuss too. I had him, <laughs> I had him for about twenty six years, and he died down at Whitney. And, oh, and, and, uh, and but I mean sponsorship. Who was that? Mike Warren. Okay. Uh, Mike uh, was, uh, and I went to say, and Mike, Mike looked at what I was doing. I was still trying to do some of my oil deals. He said, "Look, you know, you're, you're, you're." spinning your wheels doing this he said why don't you come to work for me and and i'll uh uh you know and and i my brother's got an insurance agency and i own part of it and uh, they need somebody to set appointments you're good on the phone so come in here and set appointments well i went into the place and i set enough appointments in a week for for five or six more agents and so the next week i went in and said start setting them and I worked half days, and he said, "Look, you know." I said, "All I can pay is like thirteen or fourteen dollars." I said, thirteen or fourteen dollars an hour. I'm an I'm a, you know, I'm a million dollar land man, you know. And he said, "Yeah, but not now." He said, "You know, you need to go in. And you need to start somewhere over again." So anyway, it was about three months before uh, he put me in charge of a, a 
division and in charge of a telemarketing division and then uh you know so i started making some real good money but and i worked for him uh most of those i worked for him probably 14 or 15 of those uh, those first 26 years that that i was sober and, uh-huh. and he and he it was all it was neat always having him down the hall i always had i could always go in my sponsor's room and shut the door and and uh, visit with him at a good man good good man so talk me through some of the steps do you remember doing like your first fourth and fifth step oh absolutely the the fourth step that little stupid card they gave me i still kept it the one that they gave me in jail and it had that four step stuff on there I thought, well, there's no way I, in the world that I can write down all. I mean, I can't do a four-step. Man, I'd go to jail forever and ever if they know some of the really bad stuff I did. And so I I, uh, I just put that off as long as I could. And, and finally, Mike taught me into doing one. I, I, did, I did probably three fourth and fifth steps before I did one honestly. I mean, really, honestly. I mean, over the first three or four years I was in, I, uh, I just, and it wasn't that I didn't want to be honest with him or anybody else. I just had a hard time being honest with me. I had a hard time um, facing my part in things and 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 seeing where I was at fault and asking for. And, and taking the steps I needed to take to change them. So when you took those first two or three, four steps, whatever you did, did you know you were holding back at that time? Did you oh, consciously yeah. I know? knew I was keeping secrets. I knew that, you know, I knew that there were some secrets that I was keeping and I just was not going to let go. And they always said, you know, you're as sick as your secrets. But then one of them said, well, you're also just as well as what you'll tell. And, and, and every time I'd do one, I'd get a little more honest. Uh, every time, you know, I got benefit out of every one of them because out of every one of them, I identified some patterns in my life that I needed to change. And I knew I needed to change them. And uh, so I, you know, took the measures I needed to do to, to change those. One of the, the when, I, when I finally got, when I finally did a completely honest fourth and fifth step, I mean, the, the best. I've done, I don't know, 12 of them maybe over 35 years. Uh, but when I did the the first really honest one, uh, there was a couple of things that I spotted, that a couple of patterns in my life that it, that it was really keeping me from being of maximum service. And, and uh, you know, you all told me, uh, y'all told me lots of stuff, but one of the things y'all told me was that, you know, that for an alcoholic of my ilk, it would probably behoove me greatly to get into a lot of service work. So, you know, so I started doing a lot of, I didn't have any problem with that. Um, uh, one of the, uh, one of the greatest things and the greatest service things that we did was, was our, uh, our Tuesday night men's meeting at Dallas North. We uh, that we used to call it the Jason meeting. Uh, I was on the board of Intergroup. A uh, good friend of mine. I'd replaced a good friend of mine, Blake Miles. Uh, Blake uh, has gone on to that. Blake ended up going back out after 17 years, mm-hmm. I think, and then he uh, ended up blowing his brains out. Wow. Uh, and he's super good, good guy. But we Blake called one night and said that his brother. Uh, had a, a stepson who had uh, dove off a boat uh, at the uh, University of Tulsa, drunk, and hit a rock with his head and snapped his spine. Mm-hmm. So the guy, the kid was a quadriplegic. So five of us took a meeting up to the country to this quadriplegic kid up in Capel or something. And uh, uh, when they brought the kid out and laid him down, the kid, when he got back home from some rehab, he talked some friends of his into coming over, bringing a bottle of vodka and some straws. He couldn't even move, but he could sip through the straws and, and took a bunch of pain pills with the vodka and tried to tried to check out that way and didn't. And and he, when they carried him in, put him on a couch, he looked at us and he, at the five of us, he said, you all can say anything you want, but I just want to die. And every one of us looked at him and thought, man, if I looked like that, I'd want to die, too. And each one of us told him 
how we got there. And he let us come back the next week, and there were about 13 people the next week. And one of them was a guy that was in a wheelchair, and he could identify with him. And so then the guy, the kid, let us start coming every Tuesday night. Uh, and he ended up going back to North Texas uh, when he uh, when he got his degree from North Texas. Uh, I mean, it's tough going to school, being a quadriplegic, and you know. But when he got his degree from North Texas, there were like 15, 20 of us there. When he got his master's, there were 50 of us there. When he got his doctorate, there were 100 of us there. Wow. He uh, That kid now handles a uh, uh, treatment center in uh, Colorado, and it's for quadriplegics and, and people that have that kind of difficulties and, and have drug, drug addicts and alcoholics and stuff. So that, that meeting uh, has touched. I mean, we've had that meeting going for 26 years, 27 years, and, and that meeting has uh, – has touched more people than you can imagine but that just that's the kind of service work we did and you know we took him meetings we took him to denton to, to his school every every week from down here and out of that uh, out of that has come the the moving crew that we have at, at dallas north we we've you know half the mornings during the half saturday mornings during the year we end up helping somebody move that you know can't afford movers or, or needs help in fact didn't you come from that this morning i did come from that this morning you bet and and uh and that and that has kept a whole bunch of kids sober uh especially new guys that, that get out there and do it for fun and for free and 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 get to bond with you really bond with somebody when you're when you're carrying a, a high to bed sofa down three flights of stairs and stuff like that. You got little bitty corners and it's real tough. I mean, it's you know, it's a it's a neat deal. And but I can't sit in a meeting anywhere in any club in North Dallas and there not be several people in there. I moved, and uh, you know, and and that 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 came back. You know, there's only two things I've learned in this deal for sure. For sure. For proof positive sure and that's what goes around comes around and you can't out give god uh the uh the, you know i'd been i'd been sober for a long time i've been sober for you know 15 years uh when my son my youngest son called me from university of texas and he'd had a fight with his girlfriend that night and he called on a sunday night and i i just i spent about an hour on the phone giving him all kinds of great advice they just tell him how you know to look out for himself and the things that that we do and the next morning when i got to my office uh they were yelling at me to get on the phone and and it was my other son at the university of texas my my youngest son's girlfriend had had um, they'd had been having an argument later that night and she shot him in the back of the head and so I, you know, my my other son told me if I needed, if I wanted to see him before he died, I better get to Austin. So I uh, called Southwest Airlines. They held a, a plane up for me for a little bit, and and uh, I got on it. And by the time I got to Austin, there were five, there were over a hundred years of sobriety waiting for me at the at the airport. That took me to the hospital and and let me say. Uh, let me say bye to my son, and, and we donated, you know, all his organs and everything else, and and uh, uh, and through that, uh, through, you know, there were 150 people from my club that went to his funeral in East Texas, took a day off work, and uh, and I, you know, I, man, I was, I was, I. My first reaction was to want to kill his girlfriend and kill everybody she knew, and uh, and I prayed about it a lot, and I prayed for her a lot, and and I finally, uh, because of what y'all had told me and how y'all had told me to do stuff, uh, and because y'all had showed me what you did, uh, I finally was able to uh, call her on the phone, tell her I was praying for her, and I forgave her, and and uh, and. It, got to have that rock removed from my from my back and and uh i get to help a whole lot of people that lose kids today in the program uh because it's a it's an it's a pain that you can't understand unless you've gone through it wow oh my goodness bob <laughs> i had no idea oh yeah, yeah. and so yeah. that 
And I'm just sitting here thinking about how, I mean, I know your background. Yeah. I know where you came from. I know you're a killing, fighting machine. And for you to come around and do something that is very counterintuitive to what your thought process was for so many years. Yeah. And one of the things in that force, I know where I was going. I can get sidetracked here, but uh, one of the things that I that I really didn't like the very most about myself was uh, uh, being as prejudiced as I was. Uh, not necessarily about color, but uh, about lifestyles and a lot of other things that going on and. And uh, I was at, uh, and just to, to show you how much of a God deal that, you know, that this this one, this was when I finally got honest with a four step. And, uh, and I was, you know, talking about in the fifth step, I was identifying all those patterns I needed to change. And that was the one I really needed to change the most for me uh, was my prejudiced behavior and, uh, and my being judgmental. And I chaired a meeting at uh, Dallas North at the Saturday noon men's meeting. Wore a Marine Corps jersey. And this goofy-looking guy, this tall, goofy-looking kid that had a ponytail, had peace sign all around his, uh, or peace chain around his uh, neck, earrings in his ears and his nose, and, you know, and, and just goofy-looking, came in and sat down a few few minutes after the meeting started. And he entered, finally somebody called on him and he introduced himself, said he was from Longview, Texas, and he was over here and uh, he was glad we were here. He just saw the sign on the back of the building and decided he'd stop in there before he went and drank. He was only about six months sober. And uh, I uh, I said, oh, you know, you, you know you, well, we're glad you're here and stuff. And, and I, I remember thinking when he walked in, man, I'm sure glad I don't have to work with somebody like that. Okay. We all went to Taffy's afterwards for lunch. I uh, sat in my customary seat of grace right in the middle of the table and <laughs> where we shoved all the tables together. And he came in and he sat right across from me. And he uh, and everybody filled in the tables. And he finally said something. He said, uh, Oh, were you in the Marine Corps? And I said, no, I just found the jersey. And then, I, and then everybody laughed, and I said, yeah, I was in the Marine Corps. And he said, well, my dad was in the Marine Corps, too. He said, but uh, he died in Vietnam. And, and, oh, crap. You know, and then I felt bad. And I said, oh, yeah. I said, well, I'm you know, so sorry. You know, what What did he do in the Marine Corps? And he said, well, he, uh, he jumped out of airplanes and swam out of submarines. And I said, uh uh yeah what what year did he die and he said well 1965 i said uh i said what is your name again uh he said mark e and i said was your dad shelton and he said yeah how did you know i said son i held him while he died oh my god so (laughs) so I, i handed up you know, after lunch, uh, after I hugged him and stuff, after lunch, I took him back to my house and I showed him a bunch of pictures of his dad. And I answered all the, for about six hours, I answered all the questions he had about his dad. Kid still lives in Longview, hardly ever comes to Dallas. He's still sober. He tells that as part of his story. Oh my God. Oh my goodness. Oh, I'm kind of willing to hear myself. <laughs> I can't believe that, Bob. Ah, uh, yeah. Yep, it's a God deal. The miracles of sobriety, huh? Absolutely. The miracles of sobriety. Bob, I've so much enjoyed this. Good. Me too, bud. I needed it. Yeah, I needed it too. And hopefully the listeners will. In fact, I know you you have people listening in all four corners of the world, and that's why I like to do this podcast, because there's people like you that I get to frequent and I see and I visit with and I meet them in meetings and they don't all get to meet people like you and I want to give this to a platform to people like you that can go out to all four corners of this world and they can be exposed to the recovery that you have experienced for so many years now 
God bless you. Thank you for coming over. My pleasure. All right, so I'm going to read real quick from the um, page 164 of the big book. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, like me and Mr. Bob S. here, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.